0: And I think that's really what it comes down to it's, it's not, it's almost having a peace that I have anxiety or I am a peace that I have worry, not always that I have peace in my completely, but I understand this is part of who I am. And again, easier said than done.
1: Hey guys, thanks for joining me on today's episode of Faith, Help Love, where we grow together in our faith, increase in hope, and learn how to better love God and love other people. Today we are joined by Dr. Curtis Shia, who is a psychologist located in Mission Viejo, Orange County in California. And he's going to share with us a little bit about anxiety and OCD. He's a specialist in these areas and I'm really excited for him to share some of what he does as well as what it looks like to be able to move on and move forward from a, um, a severe forms of anxiety and OCD. So thank you Dr. Shia, for joining me on the show today. If you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about you.
0: Sure, it's an honor to join you this morning and I appreciate the invitation. Uh, so again, I'm Curtis Shia. I'm a psychologist, which means I have a, a doctorate in psychology, a PhD, and I specialize in anxiety disorders, such as like panic attacks, people who get like strong physical sensations and get worried and can't go places because they're afraid they might pass out of a heart attack to general worry, a lot of future-oriented worries, um, so, uh, to specific phobias like fear of dogs or fear of flying, to things like obsessive impulsive disorder. And that's the other area we do a lot of treatment of. is people have obsessional thinking patterns. They have lots of uh, scary catastrophic thoughts in their head and they feel compelled to do some behavior to get rid of that. Um, so at the OC Anxiety Center, that's what we focus our treatments on. Uh, and we try to do it in a way that's supported by research. So that's what we've been doing for the last since 2012 now
1: so obviously you're you're like the expert in this area um we've had people on the show that have you know have struggled with panic disorder that have struggled with anxiety and so just to kind of be able to hear from your perspective kind of what causes that so you know before we really jump into that um would you mind kind of sharing uh, maybe a definition of anxiety
0: sure so and we get this a lot of people will call us and say you know i've been diagnosed with anxiety um and very often say so i've been diagnosed with anxiety and depression so the thing is, uh, with both of those, those are categories. So they're not a singular diagnosis. So um, when I say I'm anxious, that's different than if I say I have a specific anxiety disorder. Um, so when we talk about anxiety uh, disorders, we're actually using something called, actually it right here, this fun book. And this is actually a manual that we use, and this is based on data-driven scientific approach in regards to coming with diagnoses. In the same way that how do we know, how do we define like diabetes? Or how do you define something like obesity or cancer? In that same way, so there's specific markers that people have to hit for different disorders. So with anxiety, we have a classification of disorders, anything like I was just describing from general worry, a lot of future what ifs, to um, fear of certain situations. Um, So it depends on, on what we're looking at. But one way to generally think about any sort of disorder is, is it interfering and and or is it distressing to me? So the level of interference, can I get out of the house? Can I go to my job? Um, can I take care of my family? Um, those are levels of interference to more personal things of like, I'm just I'm just not enjoying life anymore. To that goes into level of distress. I just feel kind of overwhelmed or unhappy. Um, I'm really distraught that I even have to deal with these things. So when we have a level of interference that becomes problematic, I can't get to my work or work is very difficult for me and I'm so tired by the time I get home, I can't do anything. Now we have an issue regardless of the type of disorder it is, be it a mood disorder or anxiety disorder or otherwise. So um, one of the major things we look for first is how big of an issue is it? And then we start looking at which criteria does this type of anxiety disorder meet for. However, in general with anxiety disorders, we're talking about a level of worry, um, either current with how I feel physically future oriented in regards to situations that might be specific, like uh, fear of an animal or fear of a specific environmental issue, like a uh, water, uh, like fear of water or drowning to um, just a lot of what ifs. What if I don't make it to college? What if I, um, what if I never get married? Um, what if my wife hates me? What if all of those sort of thinking patterns? So in general, when we talk about anxiety, it's kind of like that typical term we're using is that uh, what we expect that worry and fear of either current things or future and
1: it sounds like you know so many of those things you can't stop like those are you know just you're not going to ever you know have a world without dogs or a world without water i mean so kind of learning ways to live and exist in a world that is somewhat out of our control um with that too you know how would you i know ocd is another um diagnosis that you work with a lot at your practice would you kind of mind sharing also the diagnosis or the definition for ocd
0: sure and uh, Melissa, you bring up a really good point a lot of these things with anxiety are really about things that are out of our control and recognizing that we don't have control over situations as well as rather than and we'll talk i'm sure we'll talk about this later but rather than trying to relax or work or get away from anxiety-provoking situations we actually want to learn how to walk through them and learn how to be able to handle them better uh, in regards to o c d um there's a whole classification of disorders called o c d disorders, but they're typically we talk about obsessions and compulsions. so obsessions are thinking patterns, so the way that I'm thinking um and it becomes obsessional, so we're not talking about like once or twice or three times a day it's like dozens to hundreds to thousands of times a day. this is all I think about so whenever I see something that's all that's the the um the filter I see through. So if I'm worried about things, one of the classic ones is contamination. So it's not that I have a thought of like, oh, I wonder if there's something on my hand, is that I'm scanning the room and looking for things that are dirty. Can I touch that? Should I even walk over there? Did that other person touch it? So there's obsessional way of thinking that somehow um, it, it's so focused on my mind that I can't get out of that. And to, get, to lower the anxiety uh, around those thoughts, if I give into some compulsion, and then for that moment, it decreases that level of anxiety for just a little bit. However, then the thought just keeps on coming back and back and back again. So when we have obsessive compulsive disorder is I have an obsessional thought. And the, the types of thoughts can vary from anything from things are contaminated to um, checking. Did I really close the door and lock it? To uh, sexual thoughts that I find obscene or distressing, to religious thoughts about relation, my relationship with God, um, to harming other people or harming myself. So there's a whole different range of, of um, obsessional thinking patterns and a whole range of compulsions. Anything from physical things, of I have to tap things in a certain number of times or avoid good and bad numbers, to I have the range of physical things. They might, we have called mental compulsions, where it's just all in my head, and I'm doing things in my head, like counting the number of words that I'm saying, and making sure that they don't add up to a bad number. Um, So there's all sorts of different compulsions based on that obsessional thought. But the idea is that compulsion decreases my anxiety about having that thought in that moment.
1: Are there kind of different varying levels of intensity with, you know, anxiety and OCD? And, you know, how do you how do you see these disorders impacting people in their day to day lives? You know, you know, with that, like, do, do kids experience this? Do adults experience this? You know, how would you go about you know, treating and working with someone that's dealing with these intense you know, is, you know, anxiety and OCD?
0: Sure. So, there's a lot of questions in there. So And they're, they're good kind of questions and thinking patterns in regards to how does this work? Um, when could I even particularly have this? Um, typically, onset for a lot of obsessive compulsive disorders around the age of, like right around puberty. So, right around the age of 12, 13, is very often we'll see the onset, but it's not the only onset. Um, Same thing with, uh, depending on, um, anxiety is a little bit different, so it depends. So very often, anxiety can be because of a specific event. So if I have a negative experience flying, that might start my fear of flying, and that could be at any age. Um, We have children as young as four or five who might come in with an anxiety or OCD disorder, Um, and we have people coming in much later as well uh, into seniors where they have something like this occur. So the range is pretty broad. in regards to, um, we see slightly more females than males for a lot of the anxiety disorders. Um, males, we see a lot more of what we call um, pervasive developmental disorders, like autism and learning disabilities, we see more commonly in, in males than females. Um, but we see them, it, it's an onset relatively, can be relatively young, uh, and there's no, the, the best way to probably think about it is probably a combination of both genetics um, as well as environment. So when we talk about like a stress diathesis model, I might be predisposed um, biologically. So my father is diabetic. So he has, uh, I have a 25% chance of becoming diabetic. That can be affected, however, by my environment and what I do. So if I sit around all day on the couch and eat deep fried lard, I'm much more likely to increase the likelihood of me getting diabetes. If I have relatively good um, uh, nutrition and exercise habits, I can decrease it, but I still might get it anyways, because that 25% just might be enough. Um, so we'll see a lot of that in the same thing with anxiety and mood disorders, uh, as well as OCD would be what's in the environment. So anything from what's being modeled by my parents. So if we have anxious parents, we're likely to have anxious kids. If mom can't handle being around the dog, there's no way I can because mom's bigger and stronger than I am. So I'm learning mom can't handle this. I can't handle it. If mom gets easily overwhelmed and has lots of what ifs, then the world is a scary place. So some of it's modeled. Um, some of it just might be biology as well as stressors, so some people um, break out in at the other people are gonna have panic attacks. So, um, so as we look at these things, we're trying to figure out not only kind of what the cause is, but in terms of when we talk about treatment, it's more about how do we deal with those issues. Um, it's good to kind of understand where it comes from, um, but even if we know where it comes from, that doesn't solve the problem. We actually need to actually make significant shifts on how we think and how we behave around those.
1: So, you know, with the individuals you see, I know you see primarily um, children and, you know, obviously in some adults as well. But, you know, are they usually coming in because it's impacting their school or their work life or their personal life? Like, you know, is is that why they kind of come to see you because they're they're not able to do the things that they want or need to do?
0: Typically, yes. So, um, again, we talk about that level of interference, most commonly it's the level of interference. Uh, sometimes we'll have a spouse call, and because it's distressing to her and it's interfering in her life or his life, um, very often we'll have parents call um, because we'll start to recognize, hey, we're having one of the big things we might have is like school refusal. So that's not a diagnosis; it's a behavior, right? So then when I see the behavior, school refusal, why am I refusing to go to school? And that might start figuring, out, oh, it's because I might have social anxiety disorder. I'm afraid if I raise my hand and ask a question, the teacher will make fun of me, right? Um, even though that doesn't happen, that's what I'm afraid of. Or I'm going to feel so embarrassed that it happened, I can't go, or I can't go late. So I have to get up at like five o'clock in the morning and I wake mom up at six, even though school doesn't start to eight Because and it's only 10 minutes away, but we're leaving at seven o'clock because I want to make sure I'm on time because, oh my gosh, it'd be horrible if I'm late because everyone's going to look at me. So we might see like impact at home in that way where the kids kidding up the mom, like at you know, five o'clock, six o'clock in the morning when it's not necessary to issues at school, to problems, um, academically or socially in or out of school to um, uh, in the in the workplace. I'm having problems um, advancing. We had one guy literally who was got a promotion, was literally moving up in the building and he had a fear of heights. He couldn't go up to the fifth floor. Um, so we have different variations of why it can be impactful uh, from anything from a social uh, familial issue to more of a, a career financial.
1: I mean, I know you you treat you know, the more severe forms of, of anxiety and OCD. You know, what are some tools that you might suggest to someone? Um, obviously, if someone is listening to this, they should find themselves a, a licensed clinician to help them walk through this, rather than trying to, you know, put these into life, you know practice in their lives on their own. Um, but, you know, what are some ways that you would deal with clients? Like, again, if you have a, a client that is afraid of heights, um, I know you've mentioned, you know, I've been in your classes before um, in undergrad, you know, getting in an elevator and going up and down with them to kind of practice, you know, what are some other ways that you might work with your clients and, you know, somewhat unconventional ways to help them to overcome and kind of move through these, these fears um, and, you know, the obsessive compulsive thoughts and, and actions.
0: Sure. And I I think there's a couple of things to keep in mind. So we have kind of what we call counseling and clinical psychology. So counseling uh, psychology are things like um, marital issues, mild depression, career choices, Uh, and that kind of falls in the counseling realm. And we have like marriage and family therapists, and they're great at those sort of things, And that's what they're actually trained to do. Um, On the other hand, we have clinicians, so we do clinical psychology, so that's what we do. So when we can come up with a diagnosis, now we're talking about a different ballgame. So if we're having like kind of an acute short-term level of worry, something like, oh my gosh, the test is coming up, or I'm going to the prom with my big crush and I don't know how to do this. Those sort of things are kind of common and we, everyone experiences those things. And that's something where like mom and dad can step in or even if it's uh, if it's an ongoing issue for, but relatively short, like a semester, that might be something for like a, a counselor like a marriage and family therapist to help out with. Um, there's some good workbooks. So there's some self-directed ways that we can help with those kind of short term. But when we see this as a pattern, every single time I go out on a date or every time I have a test. Or uh, Every time I have to interact with my colleagues at work, now we're starting to have a level of interference which is significantly different, and it's no longer a kind of a counseling one-off thing. It's an ongoing problem that now we might have to do something um, with a clinician. So it's kind of like, hey, I gained 10 pounds because it's COVID. I kind of know what I need to do. I might need some accountability, but that's different than I've been obese all my life. And now, you know, I'm, I really need some help with this. I might need to get a nutritionist. I might need to get someone who specializes in obesity to help me learn how to exercise in a way that's gonna be healthy for me. And that's when we have a clinician come in. So we talk about clinicians, then we're also looking for, unfortunately, the field of psychology is really fractured. There's all sorts of different theoretical backgrounds and understandings of how we approach issues. Um, we tend to be very research-based. So we're looking for what the research tells us works. So it's called empirically supported treatment protocols, um, And the idea is, does the empirical evidence indicate that this is the way that treatment works? So what we know for anxiety uh, and OCD disorders, the primary form of this is called cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT. So when we look at cognitive behavioral therapy, it's cognitive, so we're changing cognition, behavioral, changing behaviors, okay? So we're actually working on changing how I think and how I behave. And to do that, we actually focus on Once we understand that it's logically okay to do, then we actually go out and practice doing those things. So rather than trying to avoid dogs for the rest of our lives, we might start by actually, we have one person who couldn't even say the word dog. So we start saying the word dog over and over and over again. Then we start looking at drawings of dogs. Then we start looking at pictures of puppies, to adult dogs, to dogs that look aggressive, to looping tapes of dog attacks and have them watch that and get used to it. So when they get, have that thought in their mind, it no longer overwhelms them because they've already kind of seen it to bringing dogs into session, to actually going to dog parks. So the idea is rather than moving away from our feared objects is if we understand they're actually safe, we move into that anxiety and normalize it and start to recognize I'm uncomfortable, I don't like this and I'm totally okay. Kind of like going through a haunted house or watching a horror film. I don't like horror films, they scare me, out. but I'm not in danger. I'm not going to die from watching a horror film. Am I going to be scared? Absolutely. If I have good good reason to go, so let's say my wife really loves horror films and I want and I want to spend time with her and that's her choice of what she wants to do. Luckily, it's not, then I would go. Why? Because it would be worth it to support my wife. Am I going to enjoy it? Absolutely not. Right. But we're learning to get comfortable being uncomfortable.
1: And that's one of those things too. our, I feel like our society doesn't encourage that. It's kind of like, if you have a trigger, avoid it. Um, And I think that's a lot of individuals' uh, perspectives on just how to deal with, you know, whether it's trauma, you know, trauma induced or, you know, biologically induced, you know, or, you know, nature versus nurture type stuff. you know, it's like, oh, well, this is triggering. I'm gonna just walk around it. And I think it's cool that you do take the time, again, in in small steps at first leading up to this is, you know, like if someone's afraid of dogs, to, you know, being around them. Um, And again, it's not just a, you know, zero to 100, but you you do these incremental steps with individuals that, you know, they might not know how to do that on their own. Um, And I think it's cool because, you know, again, in, in something like that or, or something else that's, that's maybe impacting your, you know, your uh, happiness level, your ability to connect in relationships or go to work or go to school and interacting in society, you know, you're encouraging people to, to work through those things because we can't avoid our triggers forever. Um, so, you know, with that, you know, again, with this is kind of like a, a Christian podcast, I would love to kind of hear your thoughts on, you know, where is God in the middle of this and, 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 you know, what does that look like in incorporating that in the therapeutic process if you do have um, Christian clients?
0: Yes, we I would say probably a third of our patients are Christians and um, coming from a Christian background and recognizing some of these things. I, I think the Christian community is very diverse in their response to psychology. So some of them are very accepting. Some of them are this just, just doesn't even exist. You're making stuff up. So it's kind of the broad range of responses. Um, and, and there's a couple of ways is, is um, it's kind of I, I guess the best analogy I could draw would be something like if I were diagnosed with cancer or if I had diabetes, if I have a medical condition, um, there's how do we respond as Christians? Right. So it's kind of a similar thing. So it's not like, hey, we should definitely pray for people with cancer. So uh, when people have cancer, um, we want to pray over them. We want to be supportive of them. Um, we want to be able to figure out how to help them, but it's not like, okay, we're done praying, we're done with treatment, that's all we do, is we also look at what does the research actually say is useful. Well, depending on the individual, it might be surgery, it might be radiation treatment, it might be chemotherapy. Um, That's going to be the primary way of dealing with that disorder, but in regards to solving that issue, but that doesn't mean God's not part of that. So I think for some reason, recently we have the divide of, we have Christianity and we have science. If you think about it, if God is the God of everything, he's the God of science, too, so it's not like this is a separate realm. We're just trying to figure out what we actually know and what we can address and help with. So with that in mind, absolutely, we should pray for those who are suffering from a uh, mental disorder, but that's not all we should be doing. We're trying to figure out also what makes sense and what does the research tell us is going to be useful. Um, Do I, I conversely also strongly believe that sin is the cause of why we have mental disorders, but sin's also the reason why we have things in general, we even have death, let alone any sort of um, medical issue like cancer. So um, in that way is we need to deal with some of these things going beyond just because we have very often like um, Matthew six, like just don't worry Well, if that simple, then people who had a clinical issue of worry, they would have done that already. So if it's a short-term acute thing, yeah, I probably shouldn't have to worry about like how tomorrow's test is going to go. I'm still going to feel anxious about it, but I'm okay in that way as opposed to I'm constantly worried about everything. And if I'm not worried about this test, I'm worried about uh, the test after that or how that's going to affect my GPA. Or um, can I then – well, my GPA is so low that I can't get into college. If I don't go to the right college, I'm not going to get the right job. So they'll always find something to worry about. That's something different than just – a a general lower level, a counseling level of of worry, or even just, yeah, it's just today. Um, When we have that level of worry where it's now causing me difficulty sleeping, um, muscle tension, concentration issues, fatigue, now we're at a level where we got a problem that we need to address in a different way of of just kind of talking with friends. Uh, And and then in terms of actual treatment, we we talk about some of the things we're talking about right now, an understanding of why to some extent does God have me going through this? In the same way, why does, would have God have someone go through cancer? Not that cancer is a great thing, but this is part of God's plan. And if I trust that God is outside of time and sees everything, somehow this is good. We may understand at some point. At some points we may not. Um, I think I've shared with you before that my mom uh, died of cancer when I was in my early 30s. And it brought my family, my dad and my brother and I together because my mom was kind of the lynchpin. So without my mom, we had to learn to communicate without my mom. Would I rather have my mom back? Absolutely. Can I see good out of uh, my mom passing? Yes. Um, so somehow I just see a glimpse of God's plan, and that is without my mom kind of uh, proctoring the three of us, um, the three of my myself, myself, my brother, my dad, we wouldn't be as close as we are today. Um, so we have to trust that even though we may not know everything of God's plan and we're not supposed to is that i understand that this pathway is good and i have to be okay with for whatever reasons um these are the issues that um in my life that i'm going to have to deal with and then importantly everyone has different issues be it psychological physical or whatever else it might be everyone has their own struggles and understanding that these are the things that god put in our lives to ideally grow us closer to him and to glorify him i Other than that, you know, I do I know exactly why? No, and I don't think anyone really does.
1: And that's what's complicated too, because I think whether it's yeah, trauma or loss, you know, grief, I mean, you know, we can ask why all day long till we're blue in the face, and we may never get an answer for that. But to be able to ask to, you know, moving through that and processing through all of what we've gone through, and then to be able to come out and say, okay, God, how are you going to use this again, either to encourage someone else to grow me or to give you glory? and um i do want to touch back you'd mentioned a verse in matthew but there's also one in philippians which is funny because that's i'm sharing that one this week on my page but it's um you know philippians 4 it says you know be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and petition present your request to god and the peace of god which surpasses understanding will be yours in christ jesus and that was one when i was in your classes i would recite that over and over again because it helped me to you know intentionally you know put my anxieties before jesus But I think it's so often in the church that it's like, well, you just shouldn't experience anxiety. You shouldn't deal with these problems. There must be something wrong with you, or maybe you don't have enough faith. And I think that's where you know, if it's if it's minor anxieties, yes, God wants us to lay those at at His feet. But I think when there's something bigger at play, or you know, more severity of you know, again, a biological component or or intense stuff that really needs to be worked through. You know, I want to encourage I want to encourage people that are watching this you know take the time seek out a, you know a therapist or a clinician that can really walk with you through that because there's just because you're experiencing a high level of anxiety doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you or you're broken in your faith it just means that there's something that God wants to to walk with you through and again beside a, a trained therapist if it's a more minor form of, of anxiety or with a clinician with you know more severe forms of that so um, thank you again Curtis is there anything else that you kind of want to share?
0: Um, again, just kind of like you mentioned, we may not know why. And if we look at, I think the book of Job is a good example of that as well, where from Job's perspective and his friends, you must be doing something wrong. You somehow have made a mistake with God, and God is pretty clear at the end that that's not the case. And from Job's perspective, he still doesn't understand what happened or why, but he's still glorifying God. And I think that's really what it comes down to. Is, is not, it's almost having a peace that I have anxiety not always that i have peace in mind completely but i understand this is part of who i am and i i'm okay with the fact i'm at peace that i have cancer i am at peace that i have worry and knowing that eventually and if i'm addressing everything i can then i'm okay with what's going on with my chemo i'm going okay with my therapy that i'm going through um but um i think that and again easier said than done um but there is treatment, and it is relatively brief. So the empirical uh, treatment protocol that we use for generalized anxiety disorders, 18 session, panic disorders, 12. Uh, and the idea is if you're looking for treatment, you should be looking for a provider. If it's anxiety or OCD, that is cognitive behavioral therapy based, um, and that there's probably something called exposure and response prevention that's going out and doing these things rather than avoiding them. And one really good way to tell is, is: is there homework? Are the things that you're doing outside of the session? It's not simply meeting once a week for 45 minutes, because it's kind of like learning a new language. Can't learn a new language once a week uh, um, if I'm only spending 45 minutes. So those are things to look for. Um, and um, no, I think the hardest part is settling in and knowing that this, in the end, will be okay.
1: I love that. And again, like I appreciate that you kind of say, you know, hey, look for CBT, look for. Um, Look for clinicians that are going to be doing these empirically proven processes that are going to, you know, actually help if you're, again, experiencing these really severe forms of anxiety and OCD. Um, With that, I know that um, you do work a lot of times virtually with clients, um, and then you're also located in um, Orange County. So are you currently taking new clients? Um, What does that look like for you?
0: Sure, we are. I'd be happy to speak with you. Uh, anyone who has any questions or issues, we also just try to help people. Um, so feel free to give us a call um, or email us or look at our website. Probably the easiest way is just to go to our website, which is ocanxietycenter.com. Uh, and we do a lot of pro bono, kind of just take calls, try to direct people, even if they're not within our local area, to see how, how we can best help you, um, be it locally for you or we, also, we are doing things um, uh, web-based. Um, so we can do remote through California. We're licensed in the state of California, um, so there's definitely things we can help you with, uh, or even direct you in the right direction for getting help in your local area as well.
1: Um, again, thank you, Curtis, just for taking the time just to kind of share from your expert, you know, your expertise and. Um, being able just to give hope and encouragement to people that are walking through more severe anxiety and OCD. It's
0: my pleasure. I am, uh, it's my honor to be here. Awesome.
1: Well, again, thank you everyone that's watching today's episode. I hope this was encouraging to you, whether you're walking through anxiety and OCD yourself or if you have a loved one that is walking through it. Um, there is hope and there is a possibility of healing. Um, take some time again. Pray, with, pray to God, talk, you know, talk with him about what healing might look like for you. And if this is something that's severely impacting your life, um, or even just impacting it on a, a moderate level, take time. You know, you can reach out to Dr. Shia, um, find a provider in your area that is going to help walk you through this. So um, I will see you all next week.